0: This is Terry Montesi, CEO of Trademark Property Company. Welcome to Trademark's podcast, Leaning In, where we look at the future of retail and mixed use and how we can lean into it, even though others are leaning out. Today, Chuck Steelman, Trademark's VP of Experience, and I will speak with Paul Krizawa, an expert in retail guest services who's worked with brands like DreamWorks and Caruso, and is currently Executive Vice President of Operations for Unibail Radamco Westfield. Chuck Paul and I looked at the trends he sees in guest services and experiential retail, as well as how he sees the holiday season and holiday experiences happening in this year. We also discussed the role he sees technology playing in guest services, the work his company is currently doing, and his thoughts on the future of retail. Thank you for listening. So, Paul, you are known as a guest service and, and experience expert, currently EVP of operations for Unibel, Redamco Westfield, and you've prior worked for some experiential companies such as DreamWorks and Caruso in the real estate side. Give us a little bit about your background and how you got into retail and real estate, if you would, please.
1: Sure. Thanks, Terry. So, uh, actually, my career started in, uh, in Sydney. I was actually working in retail financial services. For a group company of Lend Lease, which is the, one of the largest real estate uh, developers and owners in Australia. And, um, and I was offered an opportunity to do a, a career advancement program that, uh, that took me out to, uh, to Penrith Plaza in uh, the western suburbs of Sydney in, uh, as an assistant marketing manager. And so that's how I started. And, and so I, I caught the bug of our business where uh, I very quickly learned that in our business, it's all about people, interaction, and no two days are the same. I really enjoyed, you know, coming to work and, and you know interfacing with our retailers, with the guests that would come into the center. You know, programming, you know, sales events. At the time, we we had this crazy program promotion where we would we would do a three hour sale. Imagine Black Friday compressed into a three hour window, and it was just the craziest thing. But I, I loved it, and so I kind of caught the bug. And so, you know, from there I I, I progressed through management. I found myself then on a plane headed to the United States in 1997 to work with a group that Len acquired at that time, and I, I continued working through uh, both marketing and, and uh, property management uh, positions, and you know had the great fortune to, to work with many many smart, talented folks in, in, in the industry, and found myself in 2000 uh, making a move uh, to Westfield and worked with the redevelopment of one of their flagship assets, uh, Valley Fair. Uh, their first phase of their their development, and uh, and then went through various different positions with with Westfield. Ended up moving down to uh, to Century City, when Century City embarked on the first phase of, of their redevelopment. And in my time in Los Angeles, I got to meet some interesting people, and uh, and one of them was Rick Caruso, and moved over to to work with with Rick and, and his team. And that was a real turning point in my career because I you know from everything that I'd learned about driving the business and and the importance of value creation. Which is things that I learned from Len Leeson and Westfield. I really didn't truly appreciate how to tap into to value creation to your work with with somebody like Rick. And so, you know, having the opportunity of kind of appreciating the investment in experience and what that means in terms of delivering a much better product to your retailers and also to your guests um, became a key importance in terms of where our business was was going. So, worked with Rick for several years, and then I. I moved out of the real estate business and and joined DreamWorks Animation. Um, I joined Jeffrey Katzenberg and his team to to create a department around really creating experience, uh, location based uh, entertainment experiences for real estate developers around the world. And and it was really, you know, I started with a department of one, it was just me. And um, over the period of a little over a year, we created a a team of over 150 people creating, uh, recreating some of, uh, the experiences that you know have kind of remained very stagnant and stale over the over the last several decades, like Christmas, and, and we, we we've created a couple of fun experiences there. We also created a family entertainment center experience called Dreamplay, which we uh, we designed, developed, and, and built in 15 months at um, one of the Melco projects in uh, in the Philippines. So I had a great experience there, and and then I joined uh, Equity Office, which is uh, Blackstone's office department and worked with their team on, on creating a, a master plan for the redevelopment of Willis Tower in Chicago. After finishing that assignment, I, uh, I decided to go and do my own thing for a while and had the good fortune to, to uh, spend some time working with some, some really great developers around the world and, and, and Terry and his team being, being one of them. And So I find myself back here at, uh, at Westfield now, uh, being back here for about a year and um, doing some exciting things.
0: Thanks, Paula. So how are you putting your background to work at Westfield?
1: Well, Terry, it's interesting because for those that are familiar with what Westfield have done in the, in the last few years, taking a look at, at Century City and what was done and, and uh and Westfield UTC down in, in San Diego, what I've seen in the evolution of the organization back, you know, 13 years ago when, when I was here at Century City working through the first phase is the appreciation of, of really kind of investing in things that don't have an immediate return. There's been a a real shift in uh, the way that Westfield have been looking at it, you know, activating their senses and kind of the, the richness of the experience, right? And so really kind of appreciating that from a customer centric standpoint. And that's everything from not only the, you know, the way that the staff are trained, but also to the, to the materiality that's used in the project to really create an environment that, there was one person online that actually tweeted that I noticed that summed it up perfectly. They said, You got to come and see this place. The bathrooms of Century City are better than my own home. Right? I mean, that really says something when a shopping center actually outdoes out you know, people's own, own home, but, but it's that magic. It's the ability to create a place where people feel comfortable. They feel like they've, you know, they've stepped into a into a into a different environment that kind of takes away the you know the, the stresses of their day-to-day lives and, and they enjoy being being there. So drawing upon my background, Terry, to answer your question, is is more kind of now taking a look programmatically of of what we can do in terms of creating really great environments, and great experiences, but then kind of tapping into some of the entertainment and some of the technology initiatives around actually, you know, uh, engaging with our guests in a much more meaningful way. And and that's become so important in the current environment now, as we all have to work a lot harder to, uh, to really kind of help facilitate a guest engagement.
0: Thank you. To follow up on that, you mentioned entertainment and technology initiatives. So uh, how do you see entertainment and technology interacting with and changing the retail environment going forward?
1: Well, let's talk about uh, technology. You know what's what's interesting is is that you know there's there's been plenty of platforms that have been created around assisting the guests with you know with services, whether it's you know information about stores. What sort of merchandise that you know the stores have? I mean, there's there's a couple of platforms out there now that are trying to uh, integrate with the the inventory that each individual store has to try and make that connection. And again, a lot of it kind of comes back to how do you anticipate what that guest's needs are, and more importantly, kind of add a little bit of time back into their day by you know supporting that. And so these online marketplaces, if you like, where a guest can come in and use their use their app to figure out what inventory a store has so they can actually make a purchase and then go to the store and pick it up and and, and leave is is one way where technology kind of bridges that gap a little bit. And how far away do you think
0: think that is from being really easy to use
1: and widely available? In my opinion, a little bit uh, ways off, Terry, and and that's because I think there has to be better coordination between the retailers and the landlords in terms of developing a, a, a platform that really truly has some integrity to it. I mean, the worst thing you can do is is put technology into a guest's hand and then disappoint them. As a business, we've struggled with that because I think there's a lot of really great ideas that come out of technology, and technology is really sexy. And it's like, look at this. We've come up with this platform, and there's a lot of advertising support that goes behind it. But if it doesn't deliver, with really being accretive to the guest's experience in the true form, whether it's making the purchase a lot easier, a simplified version of payments or a centralized version of payment then the guest is going to be disappointed and, and and they won't engage with
2: it. And Paul, how do you see uh, technology, uh, how do we make it personal for a for customer? How do we personalize technology other than just it saying, hey, I'm I noticed you know the person's name, but how do you engage with a customer through technology with all these?
1: The best example that I can think of is what Nike do with their new concept store. And that is that, you know, they, when you go into their store in New York, They have a way of uh, they have a a camera set up, and it actually takes a digital digital image of your foot. And the digital image of your foot actually kind of becomes a key to your membership. So now you're you're a part of their ecosystem, right? So when you want to go buy a new pair of Nikes, now you can go online, and they they already have the measurement of your foot. So really, it just personalizes that that experience. And so that's one example. I think the magic here for using technology is to be able to make that connection with a guest at a membership level that people want to feel like they belong. And so I think if you, again, if you create something that, you know, that makes that connection with them, that they feel as though they're being recognized, whether it's a rewards program or a typical loyalty program, you can influence shopper behavior through making that connection. But I think to answer your question, you know, it really is about, you know, creating that membership emotion, if you like, with with a guest using technology. Another way that I'll, I'll add, while, while I think of it, it's actually one of the initiatives that we're rolling out um, uh, this year in the Westfield portfolios with our, our centres is using AR technology to engage with our guests in, in a fun, whimsical way that kind of brings technology and entertainment together. With our, our app, you know, guests will be able to come in, they scan a QR code, and then they can walk through the shopping centre and, and find different unique characters that we've created for the families to be able to go find um, through their journey in the shopping centre, and so. One is it's a, sort of a fun engagement, and two, it translates into a way for us to be able to engage with our guests and get them to, to spend more time and, and, and walk and visit more stores as part of their visit. Great.
0: Thanks. When you think about retail and mixed-use places uh, going forward, and I know you spend a lot of time thinking about that, give us a peek into the future that you see for those places and some interesting things you see happening out there and even some things you see going away. You
1: know, I think for, for mixed use destinations, Terry, I think, you know, when, when we've talked about this, I think everyone's spoken about it. I mean, we're, we're certainly going to see in this country a lot less retail as a part of these projects. I think you're going to see a lot more services. You're going to see, you know, a lot more convenience, whether that's grocery store, fresh food markets, but you'll see a lot more medical as a part of that. And these communities, you know, I mean, the shopping destinations are really turning into what we've always in the business talked about, you know, well... We're an important part of the community, but by, by the nature of the evolution of, of the business and, and also just how people live and work today, I think that truly that you know these these retail shopping center destinations will truly become the the, the hub, if you like, of, of their community, their, their, their town center in a lot of regards, and that will happen through the repurposing of a lot of the existing real estate that is retail today. So that that could be apartments, hotel, logistics is another big one. And obviously, office from a you know from a service standpoint and medical, and so I think I think that's how these assets are going to are going to evolve. And and again, a lot of it will will become a little bit more self contained. Where as there's more traffic on the roads, there's more congestion. And now that everyone's had a taste of kind of what it's like to work from home and being able to work remotely, and that for, for certain businesses that actually works quite well, uh, there's less incentive for people to uh, to to have to go travel to an to an urban. To an urban city to uh, to go to work in the traditional way that, that, that it's been done. And so thinking through that, these, these destinations, the lines between all of these different uses, whether it's resi, retail, community space, grocery, all of those lines will become blurred now because I think the way that people work, I mean, if you think about it, somebody can work or somebody lives in an apartment community at, at, at a retail destination. They can come down, utilize the uh, the community space. They can grab a bite to eat, and they can actually work within that community space. Right? They don't need to go to the office because they're just as productive. If we do a good job as developers creating environments where people can actually lay down somewhere they can, or sit down somewhere rather, and work in that sort of environment, then there's no reason for them to leave that environment. Right? That's that's their place. Right? So I think that that's where I see the evolution of where a lot of this real estate is going to go. What I think is is going to go not necessarily go away, Terry, but I think what will evolve is is office. I think you know we may start seeing office that's perhaps you know converted to hotel, maybe converted to apartments and living. And again, I think you know, for my opinion, and some of that's driven by folks just having technology today that they haven't had, and and they've all everyone's had a taste of what it's like to actually use that technology to be able to do their job. So it will change the notion of having to go into an office. And frankly, a lot of companies will will look at that in terms of making their decision, perhaps in terms of how much office space they actually need. So that flexibility from an end user standpoint, I think is going to become much more important with the projects uh, going
0: forward. Great, thanks. As you and I have discussed a lot, experiential retail and given the customers what e-commerce can't, what they can't experience on their computer at home, what trends are you seeing in experiential retail and in entertainment that you think are going to be helpful in attracting people to retail and mixed-use places?
1: Yeah, I think it's still a lot more of, of what we've already seen in the last you know 5 to 10 years. I mean, I'll go back to the example of, of Dreamplay, which was a 50,000-square-foot indoor uh, entertainment um, zone. We've seen that, that there, you know, there are others that have been popping up, certainly, in the that we've seen uh, several examples in the Middle East, and we're starting to see more here in, in the United States. There are there some brands that are, uh, that are emerging, and Hasbro has been uh, very active in this space in terms of creating more of these physical entertainment uh, zones, whether they're actually you know, repurposed in common area or, or uh, inline space. Nerf, you know, as, as part of that brand, has, uh, has opened up their first facility in Singapore and, and are looking at, at, at doing, doing more. And again, a lot, a lot of this has to do with the physical uh, entertainment components and really engaging with people. So, you know, I think we'll definitely see a lot more of that, Terry, uh, in terms of the, you know, repurposing these larger spaces, especially old department stores, because people want something alternative to go to. And they want to be entertained, right? And, you know, whether it's, you know, going out to a movie theater or, you know, going through a walkthrough experience, as as some of these uh, entertainment brands are coming up with, I think that's, that's what people are really going to be looking for. And I know that, you know, a lot of developers right now are in discussions with several companies that are playing in this space to create those sorts of experiences.
2: So, Paul, how do you see guest services and concierge programs working and moving forward?
1: Now more than ever, I think concierge services and, and guest services is, is really becoming a, a key and an important element of uh, engaging with guests for, for retail destinations. I mean, look, you know, in, today people are more, con- more conscious about, um, about safety, right, It's changed their, their mindset in terms of how they engage with the shopping centre. And so they, the convenience is now much more important than, than it's ever been, right? And, and an example of that is we've seen across the country and actually across the world in, in, in terms of retailers offering uh, curbside pickup. Now, curbside pickup is not a new concept, but it's become now a new norm, which I think will be a permanent fixture that we'll see in uh, in retail shopping centers you know, across the world, certainly uh, across, across the U.S. And so the importance of, of concierge as a part of that increases exponentially because in order to execute upon that, it really does require that, uh, that human factor and whether that's driven uh, in conjunction with retailers or it's done with, uh, we, you know, with, with an in-house concierge team, I think that becomes a critical component of it.
2: You know, I agree with you because I think we're going to adopt a lot of these best practices that we've learned during the pandemic. And I think curbside pickup is certainly one of those aspects. Let's talk a little bit about holiday because, you know, 2020 has been an unprecedented year. Christmas, we know, is going to be totally different than any other previous year. How do you see Christmas happening in retail this year? And what are some of the changes you think we'll see?
1: Christmas this year, in a lot of respects, is is going to be good because I think, Especially for the kids that have been homeschooled for a big portion of the year, we'll have an opportunity to get out and uh, and, and engage in a, in a family favorite. Even though for the adults, it'll be a different experience, obviously with, with all you know with um, social distancing and, and the safety measures that need to be put in place. I think if there's one there's one opportunity to really do a heartfelt engagement with uh, with families uh, and our guests this year, it's Christmas. And, and two, obviously, the tra- that translates to, you know, benefits for, for our retailers that, that certainly need that, that additional support. To the second part of your question, I mean, I, I've seen different examples of how that'll be conducted in terms of, you know, trying to maximize the experience of, you know, the family's engagement, everything from Santa masks to uh, plexiglass to, you know, uh, different versions of sleighs that kind of keep families uh, cleverly separated without completely ruining the experience. So. What's what's been interesting is to see how everyone's been creative in, in terms of, you know, trying to to bridge that gap and, and, and make it very special. So
2: Santa Claus is obviously, you know, one of those big pieces that makes shopping centers so exciting during the holiday time. And do you think other shopping centers will find ways to create an in-person Santa experience? Or do you think they're going to try to keep it virtual or do both? And how's it going to look? I mean, we obviously know, as you mentioned, the plexiglass and keeping Santa six feet apart. But do you think that this is going to be a trend and our shopping center is going to pivot and still have Santa Claus?
1: I do think the centres will, will still continue to do that. I think there's going to be a mix of both virtual and and, and in-person. I think I would expect, you know, at least certainly from from what I've heard, is that there will be a lot more of the in-person. I, I, I haven't really heard too much of the virtual. Because, again, I think talking about entertainment, holidays are a little bit about that. It's that human touch and, you know, we we are social creatures even though we're all been told to socially distance and, and it's such an important part of the retail year. And so what we can add back and do for our community. So um, like I said, you're going to see some creative uh, examples of how different developers are able to engage with their guests with uh, with the centre experience. Certainly with uh, with what we're doing uh, with uh, the Westfield centres this year is that we will have our in-person uh, centres partnering with, uh, with Cherry Hill and coming up with a very safe uh, but yet very genuine holiday experience so we can try and preserve that tradition the best that we can.
2: So what are your expectations of people's comfort level for events and programming while we're living in the midst of this pandemic? And then how do you think people are going to respond once it's over?
1: Well, we've noticed because we, we've been um, closely surveying our own guests that come into, into our centers. And, and it's really great to see. I mean, we you know are proud that our team put together a really comprehensive plan for our, our Westfield centers uh, upon reopening. It actually became best practice for a lot of the a lot of the different communities that we're in in terms of what they did to share that with, with other developers. We're, we're proud to, to partner with them on that as, as we should during the, the, the current uh, health crisis. But what we've noticed is that our, our guests um, every week uh, when we survey them, they're they're recognising and they're feeling a lot more safer when they're coming to the centre. So they're recognising the steps that we've taken from a, a safety protocol standpoint, and that's actually translating to positive feedback that they're giving. So. I think there are two things at play here. One is, again, people's um, uh, psychology around how they feel coming into into a shopping centre or, frankly, any enclosed environment right now is starting to become a little bit more. There's a little bit more confidence that's, that's coming in there as, as people are getting used to the environment, the changed environments that they're they're coming into. And then I think the other piece at play here is just generally as as each week goes by and, and we hear news reports of maybe some some new information relative to the virus and and to you know how communities are, are dealing with it I think that's also playing uh, in in terms of helping the situation uh, too with that in mind and again as you know we we're, we're, we're adaptable you know to these environments over time we'll continue to adapt and I think that will become a part of the the, the fabric of operating our centers and and how our guests are feeling when they come to our centers and the acceptance that they have in terms of you know what they need to do to uh, to shop hey uh,
0: par Along those lines, what do you consider absolute best practices for health and safety in enclosed malls? And what of those things do you think will stick once we have a vaccine and people feel more normal?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Terry. So, you know, what's interesting out of all of this health crisis is that it's kind of reminded society that we actually probably need to do a better job just with our personal our personal uh, cleanliness, right? Just simple as washing hands, right? So. Look, I, what, do, what do I see as best practices? There's there's a few things. You know, one is with restrictions and uh, occupancy restrictions would be one is the ability for us to use technology to be able to monitor, safely monitor occupancy levels so that we make sure that, you know, we're staying within the guidelines that have been provided. And we do that. And we have a, a very complex uh, technology system that we use to to monitor, monitor that on a, on a, on a regular basis. Every day we open our centers. So it's, it's a regular thing that we monitor. The second is, you know, how we're approaching um, our cleaning. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have a janitorial staff that, you know, make sure the floors are clean and the walls are clean and the bathrooms are clean. But what we typically haven't done in our business is, is have a team that really is focused on the, the consumer touch points, like so railings, escalators, elevators, right? And again, a little bit of it kind of goes to that experience, like leaning into the experience. It's like, why didn't we do that? So for me, it's, it's having a team dedicated to making sure that we're not only cleaning those surfaces because you know, we, we should do that, and it's, it's the right thing to, to do, but it's also a visual cue for our guests to say, we care about your safety, we care about the cleanliness, of the centre, and we've dedicated a, a, a team to do that. The third that I'd share with you is, uh, and again, an, an initiative that, that we came up with. We, we came up with a proprietary software called LinePass, which folks can access from our Westfield app and what it does is it allows, um, allows our guests to pre-plan a trip with a retailer. So rather than near, uh, stand outside a store or you know, Lululemon store for you know, 35 minutes, they can, uh, they can plan their trip ahead and so when they come to the store, then uh, it's basically a virtual line pass so they won't need to wait, wait in line. And again, that, that use of technology in terms of a way to engage with our guests that actually saves them a bit of time and, uh, and adds, uh, adds that convenience. And then also extending, you know, some of that technology uh, to our curbside pickup, and how we can kind of again use technology to bridge that gap between our retailers, our guests, and our own concierge to to kind of bring bring the three uh, together uh, and to connect them. So, I think Terry, from my perspective, I think all of those things will will remain in some capacity. I think I think you know, like we talked about already, I think curbside is is a permanent change, and I think you know, frankly, the use of technology in terms of how people are now thinking of. You know whether it's line pass or you know the next step of that of maybe you know finding a way to go back and and get to the point where a guest can actually interface with a retailer to buy their product and pick up in store. I mean that's kind of you know the buy online, pick up in store is kind of the new buzzword for this holiday. So again, from a technology standpoint, probably a little bit more in, in the um know in, in the early stages of of that development. I think we'll see a lot of those still continue. And and finally, you know, frankly, I, I think that. The focus on health and that psychology of of a guest feeling safe is going to last for quite some time, and I think as a result of that, it'll be really incumbent upon uh, upon us as as developers and landlords to to make sure that you know we continue to play our part in uh, in really investing in the health and safety of our guests.
0: Great, thank you. So, Paul, from your perspective, when you think about the future of enclosed malls and the impact of COVID on The long term impact of COVID on shopping places. Share your big picture thoughts with us, if you would.
1: We still, across the country, um, movie theaters in in certain areas still not permitted to open. Restaurants, you know, there's very, very few, at least, you know, here in California, restaurants uh, can uh, can conduct outdoor seating and dining, but um, there's no indoor seating that remains. And so a little bit of it's changed how people think about the use of real estate relative to restaurants and gyms. Health spas, but but I think I think long term, you know, that will all come back. I'm confident that it'll all come back as we get a vaccine, as the virus runs its course, and and also as we become better educated about it. And what I mentioned a few moments ago about just people getting a little bit more familiar and adapting to to that environment. But here's the one change that I, I think that we'll see with enclosed malls, Terry, and that is what's been interesting through this whole process is how. Different developers, and certainly from from our perspective, is the ability to work with our local uh, local governments and municipalities to figure out ways to do things that we haven't been able to do before, like outdoor seating, closing streets to create dining venues, to create you know outdoor movies, just ways that you know pre pandemic never would have happened. And so, out of this, I think not only for us as as, as developers and owners but also for some of these local cities that have said, you know, there are actually some different ways that we can approach how, you know, how we're supporting shopping centres in terms of the utilisation of their space and the engagement with their guests. You know, our common areas within the shopping centres, right? Utilising those for for more dining opportunities, uh, for using them for, you know, pop-up workspaces. Again, just kind of rethinking and resetting um, how we activate spaces, which, which was something which was which probably a little bit of a pie in the sky idea before it has been forced now to become something that we we really need to dig into as a part of the uh, part of dealing with uh, with COVID. So I would suggest that's probably two big ways that you know we'll see this impacting enclosed malls, Terry, and, and the other is frankly just and this isn't a new idea, but but I think it just kind of will will highlight and and probably uh, elevate the importance of it is the ability for us to kind of uh, think about the way that some of these centres are redeveloped bringing you know the bringing in the aspect of maybe more open space you know being able to you know open the centres up to you know have more community space i think that will change as well in terms of how some of these uh you know these centres are developed and, and and repurposed
2: you know paul for me it was it was exciting to see movie theaters pivoting and creating a drive-in movie of something of the past and making it cool again. And of course, outdoor dining is something I think that people really enjoy. So talk about trying to keep an experience alive. I think it's been very fun to see businesses that have pivoted and gyms are doing outdoor classes now in parks versus going into a gym. So I, I do think that that's a positive thing that we've been able to see during the pandemic, new ways of engaging with people.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and I mean here at, at Century City, uh, you know, we worked with Equinox and, and took one of our uh, upstairs, our third level terraces, and, and turned it into uh, an extended uh, workout space for their business. Again, you know, to help support them. But but what people are enjoying is the fact that they're outdoors. They're doing their activities. that previously they were indoors, and now they're out. So yeah, you know, exactly. Right, and that's that's where I think a lot of the, the learnings will come in. It's like what well, people actually you know didn't have before that they're using now as a result of the pandemic, and they're like, actually, this is pretty good. We 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 enjoy
2: this, you know. And out um, in California, so, you have the perfect weather to do all that, you know.
1: Exactly, we got we got we got, we got the weather, but even even in, in areas where we don't, the weather isn't as, as favorable, we have space, right? So we we have areas and, and uh, you know existing store space that we can repurpose for some of these uses and be very thoughtful about how we're repurposing that to be able to, you know, again, not only support our retailers, but also create an experience for our guests that they feel very comfortable and they enjoy. Last question,
0: when Unibel Rodemco Westfield is uh, investing in R&D over the next few years, what are some of the areas you see them really concentrating on And in the future? How do you potentially see that impacting shopping places?
1: You know, the first one would be, you know, obviously what's going to happen with, um, with department stores. So, again, not a, not a new issue, but, you know, one that still is very much, you know, at the, the front line of kind of what we need to be thinking about and, and addressing. So that, in, in, you know, that's one, um, you know, controlling that space is, is the other. And then thinking about our projects from a densification and diversification standpoint. I mean, that's really where I would say that, you know, we, you know, our focus is from an R&D standpoint. Secondary to that, it would be our um, sustainability initiatives that, um, you know, we take very, very seriously and uh, lots of uh, work have, has been done this year towards some of the projects that we've got, where, whether it's, um, you know, installing uh, solar. We just finished a, a major solar installation at Garden State Plaza. Uh, we have three other assets that uh, that, that, have that have the same uh, same setup and we're looking at expanding that out. Um, same with uh, electric vehicle charging stations. We have a large initiative to, to roll out. Uh, those uh, at our centres and you know looking ahead is you know how do we you know how do we reduce our our emissions by you know up to 30 percent we want to make a, a strong commitment to uh, to do that so that uh, in our goal by uh, by 2030 is that we've achieved that that goal and um you know and, and a part of that which which i actually find really fascinating is you know how how do we become more self-sustainable in terms of our energy um, production and usage so that, that, you know, I mean, I'm mean, i really proud that, you know, Westfield have, have really you know, taken a very firm stance in, in being an industry leader and, and investing, a, a, you know, a, a material amount of money and time and effort in the sustainability work that we're doing.
0: To learn more about what Trademark Property is doing in the retail and mixed use business, check out our website, TrademarkProperty.com to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes of Leaning In, make sure you hit the subscribe button and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks for listening.